Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you this hour is another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off. Kyle joins us from Georgia. Hey, Kyle, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, it's Lyle, but that's okay. Sorry about that. Um, I got a question. I want a new desktop, and I don't know the colors and the audio is never doesn't seem quite as good as it does when I dual boot into Windows. Okay. If I bought a Dell that was specifically designed for Ubuntu, they got a precision, or if I bought a System76, would the colors and the audio be better with the onboard stuff? Um, so I guess to answer that, so here's a couple of things to consider when, when answering a question like that. So it does. So regardless of if you buy the computer from System76 or Dell or Lenovo or HP, the reality is there's only so many companies that actually make the components that go inside the computer, right? So Intel makes the same i7-8700K that goes in a Dell Precision that is in an HP workstation or is in the same is the same chip that you would buy if you were building a computer outright yourself and certainly the same chip that system 76 uses so it it doesn't as far as is one going to work a little better or is it going to is it going to function any better or are you going to get better performance is essentially kind of what you're asking the answer there is no where you will notice some difference Lyle or or where it, it may be maybe beneficial to you is Dell for example will check a video card and a audio card and a motherboard and make sure that all three of those things work together flawlessly. And so let's say you're watching a video, the audio syncs up, the video syncs up, everything is smooth, everything works together, all of the drivers work. All of those things happen because you have a manufacturer that is paying attention to those things and making sure that everything works. And you won't have that if you're just hodgepodging it together yourself. Um, and, and so that that's where the advantage of, of, of buying a Dell or System76 would be. As far as those two specific brands, is there one better than the other, or is there one going to give you better performance? Absolutely not. I, I don't think you're going to see a better picture quality or better audio quality in a System76 over a Dell or a Dell over a System76. What you might find is that the customer support, the treatment of you as an individual rather than just a customer number from a place like System76 is probably going to be better, and the profit margins as an ability to swap parts or to offer you free service or even a free replacement or a free upgrade is probably going to be better at a place like Dell. Okay. They have a precision that you can get with Ubuntu. Dell does. Okay. But say I wanted an Optiplex. Would it do any better? Would one work better with Linux just because they offer that one with Ubuntu, the precision over the Optiplex? So all of Dell's hardware well, with the... Better, I mean, better video, better audio. Sure. Uh, there, yes, the answer to that question is yes. Certainly a hardware-enabled system from Dell. That is Dell's stamp of approval that Linux is going to work on the system, and absolutely that will work better than a system that isn't hardware enabled. However, there are only two computers that I'm aware of, not another the Dell Optiplex or the Precision. It's some weird 
esoteric model that is used in a specific uh, you know industry. All of their mainline stuff is hardware enabled for Linux. In other words, if you go buy a Dell Optiplex or a Dell Precision, Dell tells you they officially support Linux on those machines. And uh, I've got one, two, three, four, five Dell Optiplexes sitting underneath my feet that are powering this show right now. And uh, they all have Linux. They all have Windows 7 stickers because they didn't purchase them with uh, you know a guarantee that they would run Linux. I just happen to know that Dell, all Dells do. They are all hardware enabled for Linux, and they won't run great. I've never had a problem with any of them. And this studio has to run whether or not I'm here because I do 50% of the shows from the road, right? Cool. Oh, one other thing. I met Jeremy two years ago himself, and you yes. talked about how busy he was on the podcast. He stopped and talked to me for 15 minutes. He didn't know who I was. He's a great guy. He is. He's a fantastic guy. really nice. He stopped to talk to me. Yeah, that's... Love the show, Noah. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate having you. That's one of those things that I... And I have to give credit uh, where credit's due to Jeremy Sands, the, uh, the director of Southeast Linux Fest. He understands that the community that we live in, this is a individual community. It's not a it's not a corporate community. The reality is, I, we talk about as, as content producers all the time, like, how could we do a show or how could we cater our content to the bigwigs, the people that are, the, you know, the big corporations and the big companies and the people that work for the big companies and the big corporations and stuff like that. And the, the, you know, the truth is, I, over time, I think what I've come to see is the human connection is way more important than stuff like that. The human connection, the ability to treat individuals as individuals and respect and care about their needs, that's a far greater calling and a far better way to serve the community than trying to cater to some corporate place that, in reality, they, they don't need some podcaster to tell them what to do. They've got a corporate training thing that shows them what they need to know for their job, right? So, And, that, and that's kind of how I've kind of, I don't know, I guess restanced, I, I suppose is the word, if that is a word after chatting with Jeremy and, and, and following his example of, of putting people and the human connections above everything else. Chaz calls from New York. Hey, Chaz, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Noah, how's it going tonight? Hey, man, great. How are you? Pretty good. I, uh, I had a two-part question about something that I'm sure you've probably had talked to death at this point, but uh, I'm sure you've heard the word on the street is that Valve is coming up with some way to run Windows-based games natively within Steam OS. Right, right. And I was wondering what form you thought that would take, if you thought it would be a Wine compatibility thing, or if they would come up with their own homegrown solution, or if they would just kind of like get all the AAA game manufacturers together and try to promote some sort of unified standard. And the second part of my question is, obviously, as we heard just a few moments ago, you are Linux first. But we can always trust you to give a fair and balanced assessment of what uh, Linux is actually capable of doing and what it isn't capable of doing. So sure. at what point do you think uh, Valve gets to a point where uh, gaming on Linux, besides Free Doom and DOSBox and things like that, gets the Ask Noah show stamp of approval? Sure. Um, I, so that's, wow, that is a great question. Um, so yeah, uh, for those of you that haven't caught up, and we'll have a, a link to the Engadget article in the show notes, Valve is essentially, they're trying to build some tools so that you can run Windows games on Steam machines. So the problem that Valve is having right now is Valve makes their money in, they want to make the next Xbox, they want to make the next PlayStation, they want to make 
a game console, but they want that game console to run PC games. And the idea is you can buy this game once and you'll be able to run it on your laptop, on your desktop, on your gaming PC, and you'll be able to run it on your living room console. And the problem that they keep running into is that all of the AAA game manufacturers are not porting their games to Linux. They're running them on Windows. And Valve, for obvious reasons, doesn't want to base their infrastructure on, on a dying operating system. And so they're, they have restructured and based SteamOS off of Linux. And so now how do we get those games on there? Well, they are what they're working on. And I, I guess the, the answer to your question is, I, I believe it's some modified version of wine based on the limited research I've done. And I'm, again, I'm not a gamer. Don't play one on TV. But I was actually I was just having this discussion with a friend of mine last night and uh, his speculation. And, and it is just that speculation. So don't take this to the bank. Just speculation. Just a, just an idea. A pie in the sky idea is that. Valve and Google may end up teaming up on some of these things because as we talked about on the week, the, the show a couple of weeks ago, Google is also announcing a game type box that they are going to release. But Google's box is going to be cloud-based gaming. So the idea that you could play a Google game inside of a Chrome tab, whereas Steam obviously has a, an interest in having hardware in the home. But those two, you could see how those two could work together. If if Valve wanted to design the box or work with a hardware manufacturer to have the local box, and then Steam could, or Google could be the game service, you could see how those two things could come together. Of course, all of that means that both manufacturers have a vested interest and a lot of money in getting games to run on Linux, right? Definitely, yeah. Perfect. Hey, Chaz, thanks a lot for the call. I really appreciate it. Also, just uh, just a heads up, we have a, a T-shirt headed your way uh, back from the uh, the July T-shirt contest. So those are those are supposed to arrive this week, and then we'll we'll have them shipped out. So if you if you want a T-shirt and you're wondering where it is, uh, those, I, th I believe they are coming in this week, and we'll have them shipped out by Friday. Lou calls us from Connecticut. Hey, Lou, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, how are you? Good, man. How are you? Pretty good. Um, so my question is uh, in regards to core boot and Libre boot. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on you know how how necessary do you think it is for someone who values freedom and uses Linux? Um, I try to keep all my stuff offline. I use KeyPass instead of LastPass, things like that. Mm -hmm. And should I be using all computers with only core boot and Libre boot, or does it really not 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 matter that much? You know, here's the way I've always approached that, Lou. And I, that's a great question. I love it. Um, the way I've always approached stuff like that is. I look, I divide things into hierarchies. Hierarchy number one is, does it run on Linux? Hierarchy number two is, is it open source? Hierarchy number three is, is it Libra respecting or is it freedom respecting? Uh, and, and, and so the way I approach some of this stuff is in a perfect world. Yeah, absolutely. It's very important. I, I absolutely think that the microcode that is executed on our motherboards should absolutely be open source, should be public and, and, and that we should care and, and try to move towards a society where we own and understand the code that is running on our computers. There have been instances, uh, where the federal government has worked with either PC manufacturers or shipping manufacturers to intercept computers and inject malicious code at the BIOS or EFI level. And so that's not that's not conspiracy theory like that's proven. We know that has happened. And uh, and and Lenovo has willingly participated in some of that. And 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 participated in loading software on the BIOS so that when you reinstall Windows it automatically reinstalls this, you know, crapware on your system. And uh, and so there's absolutely a concern for it. There's absolutely a reason to care. My issue is the problem the the problem I, I run into is I, I'm I, I have some pause at worrying about what is happening at the microcode level and if it's a Libra boot system versus just the regular Dell UEFI system 
until we get something like, you know, Adobe uh, Premiere on Linux, you know, which one of those battles do we want to fight? Because it's fine to say that we're going to take a hard line in the sand and everything better be Libra respecting. That's a, I can respect that. If that's you, you know, you have friends on this show. That's you're perfectly accepted here. And I, I want to have that discussion. But do I think that or would I want to see people spending their time, effort and money on advocating for a Libra boot system while we still uh, well, uh, you know, I just, we're going to talk to a gentleman later today and he's having a difficult time doing some of his graphic design stuff on Linux because some of the software doesn't exist on there. And so where would I rather s see us spend our time? Well, I would rather us solve the big problems first, get the, get the masses, get the people and the software over to Linux. And once we solve that problem, then we can start working on open source solutions or making or replacing proprietary software with open source solutions. And then once we've solved that problem, then that to me seems like the appropriate time to have the discussion of let's worry about the microcode at our boot level. That happens, you know, for three seconds when we start the co when we start the computer up, right? Yeah, no, I agree. But if you... I it, just had one follow-up question. That yeah, please. Oh, sorry. Um, just because... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with my computers now, but I just worry about the future. Like, I, I firmly believe the money I'm spending should be going to something I, that, I, that, I, that I believe that I support. Should I be looking more at the Purism laptops, who I know they do um, support the uh, core boot, at least, um, or should I look at something like a, a Dell XPS, which I've used before, and it's right. great. I mean, I, I know you guys talked about it before. Um, I mean, it, it's definitely a premium you're paying for the Purism, and right. I, it almost sends the wrong message to Dell. It's like, okay, well, Linux users aren't going to, deal with us anyway, so it's cool. You know? Exactly. I, I want my money to go towards making things better, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Man, you really nailed the hit. There's a, there's a GIF I've been using. It's this board coming out, and then there's a hammer that hits the nail, and it just says nailed it. If I could give you that GIF over the air, I totally would. The uh, Man, you, you just you really hit the nail on the head, man. The, um, the issue there is, you're right. Dell, right now, is testing the waters. They're saying, is there a market? Is, there, the, is the Linux... Are the Linux enthusiasts, are they willing to put their money where their mouth is and buy an $1,800 computer? If we take the top-end computer that we offer, we don't even offer it with Windows. If all we offered it was with, with, with Linux, would the Linux community step up and buy it? And by and large, the answer to them so far has been yes. And then they doubled down on it and said, okay, well, you bought the laptop. Let's make an all-in-one desktop that makes the iMac look like a Fisher-Price child's toy. And they released the they released the XPS all-in-one. And that took off like wildfire. And people are buying them right and left and saying, this is the this is the end all be all for media production and so as a user it's absolutely important to vote with your wallet and and to let the market forces show dell that yes there is a market out here and yes we are willing to buy it and i know uh george uh, uh, martin george personally the guy who is in charge of uh the linux on the De on dell and he he is fighting a the good fight as it were i mean he goes into his office manager's sits down in a board meeting and they'll ask him difficult questions like what do you expect the sales on Linux on Dell to be and he'll give them a number and then they laugh and say well we get that in our Windows sales in one state alone you know or something like that I don't remember exactly what the quote is but the point is that the market you're starting at a small market so to further to divide that market and we as Linux users we never miss an opportunity to tell manufacturers and to tell software manufacturers to pound sand I remember when EditShare brought Lightworks to Linux that was huge the first time that we had professional grade $20,000 video editing software and they were willing to give it to Linux users for free and the first question when they launched their new form the first comment the first discussion was well if it's not on fedora i'm not going to download it but they better they better put an rpm out 
you know, that's the kind of stupid butt things that we that we as Linux users we respond to after this company takes a gamble out on us. And you can understand why at some point these manufacturers look up and they're like, listen, that's just a rat's nest we just don't want to get into. We just don't we don't want to bother porting our software to Linux and nobody appreciates it anyway and everybody's mad all the time and they, no matter what we do it's never enough. So I think that the change starts with us. The first thing we do is we ex we take what manufacturers have done, we show thanks for it, we reward them for it. It's like Pavlo's dog, right? They do something good, we give them a treat. They do something better, we give them a bigger treat. And 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 we just continue that response. And I think naturally these manufacturers Dell doesn't care what they make computers for. They don't care if it runs Windows. They don't care if it runs Linux. Heck, they don't care if it runs Mac OS if Apple wanted to port Mac OS to Dell computers. Dell is in the business of selling laptops. The software that goes on top of it, they could care less. Now, to a certain degree, if you can have a lot of people that are more happy with a Dell product than a Mac product because the Dell that's shipping with Linux is more reliable, is more secure, is more stable, and it makes developers happy, that's a win-win-win for Dell. And so it's one of the reasons that when we went down to Dell and chatted with them. One of the first questions they asked is, how can we use Linux to produce media? Because right now, Apple kind of owns that market and we want to get into that. We know we have a better physical product. We need the software to go with it. So what can we do? And uh, and that's the kind of discussions that are occurring. And I thank you very much for the call, Lou. Did, did that answer your question? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was so helpful. Um, just, I mean, if, if you, I know you got some people here as a Dell, you can ever mention if they can add core boot support and somehow neutralize me i'd be 100 percent sold that might be sold already but um just something to think about so uh, thank you so much Noah. awesome yes thank you for the call i, w I will i'll pass it up the chain and, and we'll see if anything comes from, from it but yeah and I, I didn't mean to get off on too much of a, of a tangent or a rant but th that's that's kind of how where i break down on that i think we need to do a better job of conquer and divide figure out where our goals are and then concentrate them and laser like focus on each goal as we knock them out and once we knock out the first goal then we'll move to the next one john calls from arkansas hey john welcome to the ask noah show Oh, hey, John. How's it going? Um, I'm using Xerbo Linux, and I'm trying to run Call of Duty uh, World War II on it, and it's not working. Uh, do you know how to fix that? Are you trying to run it natively or through Wine? Yeah, I'm trying to run it natively, but like it says, like the EXE doesn't like doesn't recognize it. Sure. Yeah. No. That and so the reason for that, uh, that reason for that, uh, John, and I thank you very much for the call. The reason for that is that Linux, the EXE uses something called PL code, and PL code is what Windows uses to execute uh, essentially code. That's how the machine interprets code. Um, Linux does not interpret PL code, and so. The the uh, the the computers that that are the software that runs on Linux obviously has to be written specifically for Linux, and as is the software on Windows has to be specifically written for Windows. Now there are things like Wine and virtualization that allow us to cross uh, cross run software. So for example, if you wanted to run Call of Duty in a virtualized environment, you could use uh, a PCI pass through, and you could actually run a graphics card natively on Linux. And, uh, and be able to pass that through to Windows and you would have n near native performance. So, and I thank you very much for the call. It's a great question. Glad to see a new user, uh, new user getting started on Linux. I, uh, one of the things that we did is uh, I have been, a uh, buddy of mine and I started a podcast and uh, we're talking about news and, and stuff like that. You can check more out at podcast.theschmidtshow.com. But uh, as part of that, uh, I have gotten to know this guy and his family. And 
as we as as we kind of got to know each other and hang out, one of the things I said, you know, I'm really passionate about this open source stuff and this Linux stuff. And are you guys interested in taking a look at this stuff? And so uh, we, what I did was I set up a uh, an ultrabook, an Asus ZenBook, which is a it's a really nice ultrabook. I mean, that's one of the if you're looking for an ultrabook, and we were having a discussion on which Linux laptops to buy, that's a really great one. Um, because it has a lot of the same build quality features as a MacBook, and yet it runs Linux perfectly. And so set that up with KDE, Kubuntu 18.04 to be specific, and uh, and gave it to this guy. And and he didn't have a whole lot of interest in it at first. He said, yeah, you know, I don't have a lot of time. I'll play with it a little bit. Um, but, you know, my son really likes technology. And so do you care if he, he'd probably be a lot better at digging into it than me. So his son takes over the, the the laptop and he starts playing with it and he just it takes off. He's like, "Oh, this is great. Everything works. It's fantastic. You know, things here are some of the pitfalls, but for the most part I really like it." Well, fast forward about 5 days in, maybe a week in, somewhere in there, all of a sudden his dad comes back and says, "Yeah, well, my son has now has now taken over that laptop, but I have also started to really like Linux and could we get could we replace my MacBook with Linux?" And I said, "Yeah." So now we're in the process of of doing that. So joining me in the studio is uh, Mr. Kenny Schmidt, Brad's son. Hey Kenny, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hey, yeah, I appreciate having you here. So I I guess uh, here's what I'm interested in. So you are how old? Uh, I'm I just turned 17. So Young. <laughs> okay. And and still in high school. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And what's interesting is you actually attend high school on your computer. Yes. Yep. So yeah. you attended like, it's like, it's like an online high school kind of a thing. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's through Adobe. Um, I can't think of the, the actual, it's Adobe. It's one of the Adobe products. Okay. Um, but it's basically a virtualized classroom where they have, you know, programs or like you can raise your hand digitally and it, you know, notifies the teacher and all this stuff. So it, it's, it's got all that kind of stuff and it's, it's pretty intuitive and it it runs pretty nice. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I, I I say all of that or I bring all of that up to exemplify the fact that if there's anybody that know, I mean, you live on a computer right now. Your job, so to speak, is on a computer, and then you have a yeah. part time job as a graphic designer. Yes, yep. And so and so all of these things exist on a computer. So you know your way around a PC pretty yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> and traditionally, you've been a Mac guy, Windows guy. Uh, for the most part, I've been doing all my stuff through Windows. Um. For me, Mac is it's a little bit closed. I can't change a whole lot, and Windows has been kind of buggy. So I I kind of like the idea of this Linux that you know it's it's got some flexibility and some customizability with a little bit of you know performance, and uh, you get the performance and the reliability that sure. something like a Mac would have. So off the bat, like just initial impressions, I've already really enjoyed some of that that aspect of Linux in itself. Um, other than that, yeah, it's it's absolutely been Windows for me, and that's about it. But this is definitely something different. So your dad brings this computer home. He says, "Hey, Kenny, I've got this computer. It uh, it runs this Linux thing. Check it out and let me know what you think." So you pull it out, you turn it on. What's your first impression? Okay, so the first thing I did was I went and I downloaded Chrome because for me that's just that's what I've used. That's where okay. everything I like is normal. So I went and I downloaded Chrome, and I went and I went to uh, Google Chrome's website and I hit download and install and I go in and I hit install and it says, you know, install package and all this stuff. And it's very different than your typical Windows install. It's not, you know, run. OK, OK, OK. It's got, you know, you can actually see the terminal doing all the code and, you know, reading out in front of you. So you actually get some feedback of it. And I thought, oh, that's kind of strange. 
And uh, so once I get Chrome installed, I, I kind of go through with all my computers as I get them as I go, okay, so all my stuff that I'm going to use on it every day, you know, I'm working on a project in Corel, so I'm going to have music, you know, so I can work and mm. listen to music. So I go, mm -hmm. okay, so uh, let's, let's go Spotify because that's what I use for all my music. And I go and I look and I go, I get to Spotify's website and uh, it auto detects that I have a Linux machine. So it goes, okay, uh, you can't download a native installer like you can on Windows or um, Windows or Mac like mm. you can mm -hmm. normally. And I go, okay, well, this is kind of strange and I'm, I'm not 100% sure on this. Um, but actually, uh, me and Noah had met up for, um, we uh, had a competition shoot that he was trying out and kind of, He's trying some of my interests. I was trying some of yeah. his. So <laughs> That's we kind of traded back and forth. So, uh, <laughs> so as we were meeting, I had kind of asked him about this topic of, you know, how do I, you know, what's the best way to get some of these like basic programs that I was like really, you know, I, I couldn't figure it out quite right away. And he's, he showed me this uh, website called Snapcraft IO, which is he, as he's probably talked about on the show before, is really a, a simple way to get, I'd say, ninety percent of your average everyday apps just easily update the quick updating, the reliability, the, the, the easy install, literally just typing in a, and like, even on their website, they have their copy and paste install that you literally just copy it, open the sure. terminal and paste it in and it loads. And it works. The, the programs themselves aren't like a dumbed down light version. They're all full fledged programs. So right. that's, that's what I did. So once I got all that in and, um, I, I really started to like that. And like, uh, he suggested, uh, Inkscape, which is their, like, a really good vector program for um, Linux. And I tried that and I was kind of thinking, well, it's missing some of the tools that I need. Um, I use like power tracing tools for, you know, outlining things. And it, the, the Inkscape program had some of that, but it also um, did it in a diff, it did the same thing, but in a different way to that I'm used to. So right. I, I was kind of talking to him. I was like, Hey, uh, what's the, what's the best way to get this Chrome thing? I don't see it on the Snapcraft website. So what is, uh, What's the best way? It's and he he had kind of said you know wine, uh, VirtualBox, and dual booting was kind of the solution. So, and this is ju just to this is to get uh, Corel Draw. Yes, on yep. the on the computer. And they do have. He did say that they had Corel. I believe it was it Photo Paint. Is there yeah, other one? What is the? Uh, I have to look that up. What is the? What is the Corel Photo uh, Editor? There there is it's, a, it's similar to Photoshop, is what I believe it is. Right. Yeah. Paint Shop. Paint Shop Pro. Yeah. yeah. So Paint Shop Pro is available actually on the Steam Show. Yeah, on the Steam Store. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the one we looked at, and I wasn't. Uh, I believe that's more similar to like Photoshop, whereas uh, the actual draw program that I use is similar to um, Illustrator, Adobe Illustrator, in the fact that it's a vector versus a raster program. So, really, just scalable art versus you know pixelated art. Right, and uh, and so so what what you're doing right now is uh, you were in the process of setting you up a virtual machine. You're going to use the virtual machine mm -hmm. to do some yep. of the to, just so that you can because the the thing is when you're switching and and this is what I kind of talked to you about on Telegram a little bit when you're switching to Linux or when you're getting started with Linux, that's not the time to to just interrupt your work, right? Yep. Let's yeah. get the work yeah. done first, yeah. and then in your free time you can say, "Now I wonder if I could do that thing right in, in something Inkscape. like Inkscape, yeah." But it gets super frustrating with like you were trying to work on this graphic and yeah, you're like, yeah. I have to get this logo done for this client. And now I'm sitting here trying to find a tool in Inkscape like that. <laughs> it's just not a good way to work. Yeah, yeah for sure. So uh, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to we're going to finish setting up that that virtual machine and uh, that will get you back on Corel Draw. Yeah. And you'll be able to get your work done. Yeah. And then over time, I'd be interested because one of the things you said that I, I think stood out to me is, Kenny, you said the 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 way that Inkscape interprets the pen 
yeah. is the closest yeah. that you've seen to, yeah. as compared to any other software that you've tried, including Adobe Illustrator. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I've I've used Adobe Illustrator and some other vector programs, and I've you get a very specific feeling for how the tools individually react and respond, and how how they they just work in general. The the feeling of right. you know when I pull the cursor this far off into this direction, it's going to make that shape this long or it's going to bow out this much and it's inkscape has been the only program that i've tried that has had a similar feeling and kind of felt at home for me with their just general tools that right. they had and it it's the closest experience to what i've what i've seen in corel but there are those minor minor things of like some of the tools but like for the most part, I would say Inkscape comes closest to what feels like at home and natural for me. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'd be interested as you continue to go through, uh, you know, to 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 have you kind of to kind of have you to stay in touch with you and just kind of see how that mm -hmm. process goes, you know. And especially, you know, there's there are other programs that do some of those same things, like we were talking about Krita earlier today. Yeah. Um, yep. Very good for freehanded drawing yep. and stuff like They're that. Painting and, tools. Yep. Right. Exactly. So if you start working on and going kind of down that road, I'd be interested to see what your take on Krita is, and then also. So, and I mean, I was kind of half joking about it, but you know, in all seriousness, if you ever found yourself with some extra time, you know, if you got into some of these softwares, would you ever be interested in creating tutorials for people to say for the next generation of people that want to learn how to use this stuff? Absolutely. I, I think there's, especially in the field that I work in, I work with a lot of other designers at my job and having something that I, even just on a personal level, uh, say one of my coworkers, I've heard this a lot, especially in the industry I work in, um, people, when they first start working there, they automatically, the first thing they want to learn about is graphics because it's it's a cool field. I mean, people are sure. genuinely interested in it right away. Mm -hmm. And if I had, you know, the time to sit down and, 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 you know, once I learned something like Inkscape, a free tool that people can just download and install and they don't have to, you know, they don't have to buy a license to this program and they don't, they can just install Ooh, yeah. it on any computer and they can just start learning and see if they actually like it. That is something brilliant. And if I could create it, and if I, once I learn these programs like Inkscape and uh, what was the other one? Krita? Krita, yeah. Krita. Mm -hmm. um, if, if I could actually go through and, you know, once I learn these programs, create something where they can go, they can follow along. Um, a lot of the people that I've helped kind of teach some of the Corel Draw and graphics and stuff for, I literally had them sit down and watch a YouTube video on like a multi-monitor setup. I'll have mm -hmm. them, I'll pull up my art program on the main monitor and I'll mm -hmm. say, here on the second monitor, have this YouTube video up. And this is what I used to learn this program from. Mm -hmm. And really the best way to learn like an art program is literally just sitting down, watching a tutorial and following along and physically doing it. Because that's from, at least for me, I mean, some people do learn differently, sure. but I think if I had, you know, created a tool like that for, so like even some of my coworkers mm -hmm. say they were interested, I could say, Hey, download this Inkscape program and watch this tutorial. I made, you know, whatever right. in my time. And, they could get started right away and we could have, you know, an extra designer on staff now. Right. They, and they can do more than one thing. They have some extra variety. of. So, I, you know, I want to dig into that just a little bit. So one of the things that we get on this program all the time is people ask me, they say, how do I get a job or how do I get hired or how do I, how, how do I do this, that, or the other? And, and you, uh, at, at all of at, at the time, I guess you were probably 15 or 16 years old, mm -hmm. have managed to figure out what people 40, 50, and 60 years old can't seem to figure out. And that is that if you can just make yourself more valuable to, to the employer than they have to pay you, Right. You may, it's it's a it's the it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. They absolutely yeah. want to hire you. Yeah. So tell tell me the story. How did you get your job? So I uh, my dad actually works uh, for a radio station, and the one of the people that advertises on the radio station had um, basically 
has a graphics company. And at the time I was really interested in graphics. So my way of finding this graphics company was my dad, but just the best way to find like say a company you're looking for, just go look for a place that does what you do or, and if it's not exactly what you want to do, find something that's close Mm -hmm. and then go there and like, just try it and see if they'll let you learn. Um, when I did is I literally went to this company and I said, Hey, uh, I went to the guy who owns it. Cause it's kind of a small company, a small town. And, uh, I said, Hey, can I, can I sit in and just learn what you do and, mm-hmm. and try it out? And, you know, I don't care if I have to go get your coffee and, you know, do the, do the crap, you <laughs> just know, let me little exist bit, just here. let me be here and learn about this. And, and as I went, I learned, you know, I learned, I did, I did some of that. And even, even doing it on your own in your own free time, like I go home when I was done there and you know, pull up a YouTube video on how to do artwork for Corel or, you know, or Inkscape or whatever program you want, you want to use. Yeah. Um, that was just, that was what they were using. So that's that's just what they were using. And that's what I learned on. Um, so I, I basically, I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to learn as much about this as I absolutely can. And I'm going to, I'm going to try my hardest to just impress this guy every single time when I come in and I, I go, Hey, I learned this thing. And at sometimes you'll even get really lucky and you'll learn some cool thing that even they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I was able to show him, I said, you know, at the time it was, uh, I think it was like an opacity tool or way, a way sure. of using it to make a cool effect. Sure, and I was sure. like, Hey, check this out. We can do this. And he's like, Oh, that's really cool. Um, I really like that. And, uh, Basically, over time, I had learned some of this graphic stuff, but this company, um, they don't do just solely graphics. They do graphics and apparel. So they, right. they do the actual creation of the, like, they, they'll do your logo for your company and they'll do your clothing. They'll right. do it all. Um, and then they send you on a trip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they also own a travel company and that's kind of a second branch. So um, really the thing is, is I, I'd learned as much as I could. And then once there was an opportunity that arised as soon as I could, um, before me, there was a guy that had ran their machines, their embroidery machines. So he did, he was a machine operator and he, uh, I believe he was going back to school is what he, why he couldn't continue to do it because he just had to be focused more on school. So, and this is college, not like high school. Um, so he, he went off to college and he said, you know, I'm not going to be able to run the machines. And since I had been there learning about, you know, the graphics and all this other stuff, I, I basically the guy, my boss said, Hey, would you like, if you could run these machines, which you've been sitting here and learning for the last right. couple of weeks and months and, and you've, you've kind of learned about all this stuff and how it works. Hey, how could you, could you do that for me? Cause I, you're the only other person I know right now. Otherwise I'd have to go find another person that can do this stuff and have to train them in and take all this extra time. So I, the way I kind of look at it is I started to, I tried to start to build as much value as I could at that company before I was even employed. And if, even if they didn't see the value in having me at that company and that, that boss never said, Oh, Hey, I want to hire you on to do this. Right. Then I at least learned from that company. You were getting experience. I, I learned about it and I, I knew I found my education in in doing that myself. And, and you didn't pay, it and you didn't myself. have to pay for yeah, the education. This, this was hundred percent free. All it was, was, you know, making the offer going up to someone and saying, Hey, I, I see you have this really great thing going on here mm-hmm. and I see that I could learn something great out of this. And, and I want to be a part of it. And I want to be a part of it and I want to learn. And it was something that I was genuinely interested in. So I want to see if I can just sum this up just a little bit. So it was who you knew because yep. you were paying attention to the connections around you yep. and said, here's somebody that's doing something I want to do. Yeah. And I are, and I, I know there's a, I, I found the path, the shortest path to that thing. Yep. yep. You made yourself more valuable to that company than it would cost yep. to pay you. Yes. And then really what it was, was preparation met opportunity and that's what created success right because so so just just being always willing to work and being there and being available meant when that opportunity came up you were the first guy because you already had your foot through the door because you're already there working for free yeah 
And if, and like I say, and it's something that I love doing too. So I was, you're going to, it seems at least for me in my case, it seems like I'm more willing to work harder when I enjoy what I do. Right. So putting that in that extra time and just going in and learning about it sure. didn't feel like work. It felt like going and just, just doing something fun in my free time because right. it's summertime and I got three months to kill with nothing to do. So why not go and do something productive? So that's a lesson for all of you that are out there. If you're if if you're listening and you're wondering what you can do to get your next career started, take some advice from the 17 year old kid because he's <laughs> figured it out. You know. Uh, so thanks a lot for joining me. I appreciate having you. Obviously, yeah. you know you're going to stick around for the rest of the episode. Yeah. So if there's anything you gotta you you have a view on, by all means, you know your mic's on. Speak up. <laughs> um, but yeah, we would be interested. I, I'd be very interested in hearing uh, hearing the continuation of this hearing where your journey goes, right. hearing the kind of software and the kind of things that you use and what happens and um, and how we can be a part of that and become a part of that success. Right. And so, yeah. you know, we'll upgrade that. We'll upgrade the laptop for you. We'll get a bigger SSD in there for you because yeah. I know what kind of your needs are now. Yeah. Yep. And we can kind of tweak that a little bit. Uh, and then uh, and then it'll be nice because it'll kind of be passed down because once we get uh, everything all finalized on your on your dad's MacBook, yeah. then you'll be his first line of support because hey, guess what? You got two weeks on him. You yeah. know, <laughs> I, I I had the same stupid simple questions beforehand right. that I can now help him with. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, and so and and you know and then we you know it, it's fun too because you know you had another buddy that we were all out, out you know at this trap club. Yeah, this, yep. uh, Not that it's necessarily related to this show, but you're you're somewhat of a, a child prodigy when it comes to, to trap shooting, right? <laughs> Thank you. You yeah. you you. Uh, you won that competition that we were at, but yeah. then you were also you've competed at at uh, at the state level, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and you 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 got what was your exact place? Uh, I can't remember. I know for the most part, um, it's ranked on teams. So okay. for the last three years, our team has um, taken first through second place. So the first okay. year we were there, we got first place. Second, nice. Third year, we got second and. Second but there's again. hundreds and hundreds yeah, of and there's hundreds and I believe I was I know for a fact I was in the top 50 I can't remember I think it was like in something like seven way tie for right. 20th place and, and when people say that they say oh it's 50 that's not so much yeah. but the difference yeah. between 50 and first place is like one target or yeah. whatever right? yeah it's a very small like I, I think it's a total of like uh, first place to like 20 I think I believe it was 27th place is what I got so I think okay. um, I think it was like six targets yeah Sure. 27 positions and it's six targets right and this is yeah. over hundreds and hundreds of, oh, yes. of targets yep. that you yep. shot well very good and i like i say you're you're a great guy and it, it's great to have you here in the studio i'm happy that you're able to take the time to be here and uh, and and you offer a very interesting insight uh for me as a linux enthusiast because you're not you be, there are not a lot of people that have grown up in the in the same circumstance that you have mm -hmm. so a lot of people they are predisposed because they grew up on mac and on yeah. windows and my yep. kids for example they're they're given chromebooks and so yeah. my son yep. everything in his life revolves yeah. around chrome yep. and so on his laptop he obviously he's got linux but yep. but he wants to do everything inside of chrome because that's what he's comfortable yeah. with and that's what he yep. knows and so to have somebody that um, did not necessarily participate to the same extent in the public school system, yeah. but at the same time has a very high level technical background and and does a lot of these things at a younger age. Yeah. Obviously, that you know has some in that I think that provides a lot of insight. So I'll be interested to follow that to see how it goes. And yeah, for sure, yeah. as you learn these tools, I promise you, there are people out there that would love tutorials oh, on, yes, on yeah. taking your artistic yep. ability and in combining with and with an ability to say how can I take these open source tools and how can I make them valuable to other people. Right. Without again giving back to that community, without yeah. having having somebody has to contribute a cost, yeah. you know. Yeah, for sure. Again, open phones one eight fifty five, uh, one eight fifty five four fifty. No, it's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow dot com. Eff dot org headline. 
Telling the truth about defects and technology should never, ever be illegal. Ever. Congress has made a new law saying that corporate... Congress has never made a law, rather, saying that corporations should get to decide who should publish truthful information about defects in their product. The First Amendment wouldn't allow for such a law, but that hasn't stopped corporations from conjuring out of thin air and defending it as though it were a natural rite of passage. Some background, in 1986, Ronald Reagan, spooked by Matthew Broderick movie War Games, worked with Congress to pass a sweeping cybersecurity bill called the Computer Fraud Abuse Act, commonly known as the CFAA of 86, that was exceedingly sloppily drafted. The CFAA makes it a felony to exceed authorized access on someone else's computers in many instances. Fast forward to 1998 when Bill Clinton and his Congress enacted the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, commonly referred to as DMCA, a giant gnarly hairball of digital copyright law that included Section 1201, which bans bypassing any technological measure that effectively controls access to copyright works or trafficking in devices or services that bypass digital locks. Notice that neither of these laws have bans on the disclosure of defects, including security disclosures. But decades later, corporate lawyers and federal prosecutors have constructed a body of legal precedents that twist these overburdened laws into a rule that effectively gives corporations the power to decide who gets to tell the truth about flaws and bugs in their products. Businesses and prosecutors have brought civil and criminal actions against whistleblowers who violated company policy in terms of service by discovering the defect. The argument goes something like this. Our terms of service ban probing our system for security defects. When you log into a server for that purpose, you exceed your authorization, and therefore you violate the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act of 1986. To say that I have a huge, massive, massive problem with this is a gross understatement, right? Because the issue here is that it's if it was just the company's data that was at stake here, if it was just their resources that were that we were talking about fine do whatever you want you make whatever policy you want the problem is that these kind of policies and this kind of quote-unquote protection is is put into place at places like target at places like walmart at places like the the local gym and those places have my personal credit card and so if there is somebody there that understands the technology oftentimes better than the people who actually implemented it and they're able to find problems, why in the world do we support a law structure that penalizes those people for bringing those problems forward? I had uh, a gentleman reach out to me uh, earlier this week and said, I work for a company and I am trying to navigate some of these, uh, some of these waters because there is a massive security flaw. It's causing a problem with customer data and we need to do something about it. And could you at AltaSpeed Technologies help me facilitate this and help me figure out how we can fix this problem? And by the way, don't get me fired in the process. And I didn't have a great answer for him. And, I, that, and, it, and it kind of frustrated me that I didn't have a great answer for him because the truth is, legally speaking, there, there is no legal protection for trying to fix your company's broken system. And in fact, oftentimes, if you point out a problem the company is more likely to come after you for pointing out the problem to begin with than they are to be thankful for the fact that you're fixing their problem, that you're doing their troubleshooting, that you're fixing holes that have, should have never been there in the first place and was highly irresponsible of them not to have somebody paying somebody to fix this stuff. And we don't do a good enough job of that and we don't do a good enough job of recognizing that. 
And it's one of the reasons I'm so thankful that organizations like the EFF exist, because the EFF pays attention to this stuff. The EFF pays attention to the fact that there are organizations that don't. We were talking earlier in the hour about is, are, is Libra respecting important? Is Libra software important? The EFF is paying attention to those kinds of things to make sure that the government follows step with this stuff, to make sure that when the government goes to get a bid for something, that they're not violating the principles and rights of people. And they, they don't treat the digital rights of people different than your physical rights. I've talked about this on the program before. I've used this example before. If you were going through an airport 50 years ago and you had your camera and you were suspected of some crime and as part of being suspected of that crime, the police confiscated your camera, took the film out, got it developed, and maybe they looked inside of your 20 or 30 pictures to determine if in fact you had committed this crime or if you were at the scene or whatever it is, right? If you were, then, you know, they used the evidence against you. If you weren't there, well, they looked at 30 of your photos and you moved on your way. Think about that in 2018. Think about what happens if, for any reason, law enforcement takes your phone out of your possession and goes through your Google photo library. They're not going back 30 or 40 photos. They're going back, in the cases of my, my kid's life, everything they've ever taken a photo of since the day they were born is in their Google photo library. And the police can get access to that. Government officials can get access to that because they got a warrant, because they got a judge to sign off on it. And yet we don't we we don't enforce that sort of policy the other way around. Nobody says, hey, Mr. Law Enforcement Officer. Hey, Mr. Judge. Hey, Mr. Lawyer. You wanted to find out what my client was doing for the last 30 days. You just went through the last 25 years of his photos. That's exceeding your authorization of access. No, we don't have any of that when it comes to the private citizen. We just have that as protection for these large, massive companies, for these large, massive corporations. Those kinds of things we're happy to protect. Those kinds of things we're happy to go to the mat for and say, you know what? You didn't have the authorization to, to click on that button and found out that you got access to, to Susie B's credit card information and her social security number and, and all of this. Nobody talks about stuff like that, but we're always quick. We, we, we never miss an opportunity to tell a citizen to pound sand if they, you know, run into some of these issues and their rights are abused by the federal government or or any you know organization for that matter. Target gets breached. Right. Nobody ever looks at the protection of the citizens. In fact, a lot of times, particularly in the in the case with the Equifax breach, a lot of these places actually have you sign disclaimers when you, or, or waivers when you sign up for their, their identity theft protection, the identity theft protection that you only needed because they screwed up. When you sign up for these things, a lot of times as part of that agreement for them to give you the free identity protection, you waive your right to a lawsuit with these companies, which is ridiculous. They don't protect your data. They fire people who try to protect your data and then they come after you for the cost. Or they get you to sign away your rights to sue them just so that you can not be further harassed by people stealing your identity because of their security breach. LT, LT guy 5 in the chat room says, I told a principal at my daughter's school that if any student finds a way to hack into the computers, the end of the computer lab that are locked down, punish them by making them maintain or work in the computer lab. Well said. We had a guy on our the one year anniversary of the show. We did it live from Minneapolis, St. Paul. We did it from the Tamarack Taproom. It was a great time. Had a lot of guys uh, and girls come out to hang out with us and celebrate the one year anniversary of the Ask Noah show. One of the things we heard, because there was a lot of educators there, one of the things that we heard from every educator was that we have a problem in this society where we punish kids. And we tell them from a young age, don't try to do that thing. 
Don't try to access that thing. Don't try to break that thing. Don't penetration test that thing. If we're doing our jobs right as system administrators and as developers, there should be absolutely no concern about somebody knocking on knocking on wood because you're not going to break anything because we've done a good enough job of securing it in the first place, right? one 855 no it's 855 You can email us live at This comes to us from ARS Technica. Headline, a review of Monitor I.O., a little gadget that wants to talk to your internet. Monitor I.O. is a $100 IoT gadget that tells you whether your internet is working properly or not at all. The idea is simply that you put this black box plugged directly into your router into a quick glance and it has a color-coded screen that will let you know if your internet is working solidly or if it's having some problems or is just plain out. Monitor I.O. promises to tell users granular details like how long a connection has been up, sketchy or not. I'm a very senior sysadmin with a handful of with a hand-configured Linux router and a panoply of tools ranging from NetData to NTOP, NG to Nagios and enterprise-like wired and Wi-Fi access point systems. Despite all of that, Monitor I.O. manages to offer me useful insights into my internet connection and local network that I didn't have and would be pretty difficult to duplicate. For a $100 IoT gadget, that's pretty impressive. Now, you guys know, for the most part, I don't particularly care uh, for IoT gadgets. You guys know that for the most part, I don't like cloud stuff. But this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool because when I call my ISP and I have questions or I have problems, the first thing they want to know, how long has the connection been out? How long is the connection working? Has the connection, what time did the connection? They want all of these details. And certain amount of that is because they literally can fix the problem if they don't have it. Other times I get the distinct impression that they are just trying to... Uh, Basically, they're trying to, to push me off. They're basically trying to say, we don't care. And if we just ignore you, eventually you'll go away. And um, there are plenty of software alternatives that have existed for a long time. That, uh, But a lot of them ran on Windows that people would use to try to talk to their ISP. Comcast is famous for this. If you don't have specific data proving to them that there's a problem with their system, they will pass it off. In some, I've heard of some instances where they will actually tell you if you, don't have, uh, if you don't have three or more people in a given area reporting a problem, they won't even send a technician out to fix it. So the, the idea that you can plug this box in and start to gather that useful network metrics that you can actually use for troubleshooting your, your own internet connection, that's huge to me. The other thing is just the ability of knowing that my internet is out versus do I actually have a network problem in my house? Is the Wi-Fi down? Uh, you know, those kinds of things are remarkably useful to me. Now, the truth, here's the truth. The truth is that I have three internet monitors. I have to feed them and clothe them, uh, but they are addicted to their tablets and Netflix and YouTube and all of that stuff. So the internet doesn't go out at our house for more than about uh, six seconds. And I start hearing about it with three very loud alarms telling me that the network is experiencing high latency and that I need to resolve it immediately. Right. And and the nice thing about those uh, network monitors is they uh, they're mobile. They they will come to whatever room you are and, and notify you. And they don't uh, they don't require an Internet connection either. They work right on the land. But the ability for this device to monitor your internet connection just with a color thing. I can just look over and see that the internet connection is poor because the, the color is purple. Or the internet connection is green, so it's perfect. Or it's red because it's totally out. That is super useful to me. I can't imagine if I lived 
uh, at a place where I didn't have very good internet, if I lived in an RV or I lived out at a lake or I lived out where I had satellite internet or something like that, the um, how useful it would be to just look at a box and be able to look at the color and know, oh, the internet's doing good or the internet's not doing good or, you know, or whatever. So not a big fan of cloud devices, even less of a fan of IoT. It comes with my usual Ask Noah show warnings, which are, if you're going to plug a box like this into your LAN and forget about it and just look at the colorful lights, keep in mind, there's a little computer in that thing. That little computer can be compromised. That little computer needs updates. So time will tell if this company is actually issuing updates to these things and is being responsible about keeping them secure or if it just becomes a, a wide open gate on your uh, on your network, especially for the fact that by the very nature of the device, it can't be VLAN'd off. It can't, I mean, it literally has to exist on your, at least it has to have a pipe to the world. I guess you could put it in its own VLAN and then just trust that that VLAN is connected. All your VLANs are on the internet. But for the most part, despite all of the standard usual ask Noah show warnings i think this is a cool device i will be picking one up and i'm going to check it out and uh, not sure if i'll stick with it i somewhat suspect that uh there are probably some open source alternatives to this that i could just make out of a raspberry pi but i have uh i i have used a little ping indicator on arch long enough to know that having a consistent uh internet connection meter is an important thing we'll definitely be getting one here for the studio because Knowing what the internet here is everything, right? If we don't have an internet, we don't have a show. Uh, we got the FM show, but we don't have a show. So I have to be acutely aware of what the internet connection is. one 855 450 You can email the show live at asknoahshow.com or you can join our interactive mumble room, mumble.jupiterbroadcasting.org. Change the last port number to four and join us in the on-air channel. Scott does that and joins us in mumble. Hey, Scott, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. I know. How are you? Hey, excellent, man. Man, your audio sounds great. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I just had a question about. Um, well, it's a, it's kind of a multi part question. So sure. Um, I have a couple of domains with uh, Namecheap as my registrar, and uh, when I signed up for them, it was real cheap, and uh, you know they had some basic DNS services and stuff like that. It was real nice. But as far as like the actual like registering your domain, what are you actually paying the registrar for? Like, what is the yearly subscription for? Sure. So when we look at domains, you domains read from the right back backwards to the left. It's kind of backwards, right? So for instance, the very ending domain is com, and then from com is separated by a dot, and then is your name, and then separated by that as a subdomain, and separated by that as another subdomain. So for example, I, I, I do some contract work out at the University of North Dakota. My UND email address is noah.chalaya at und.nodak.edu. And so there's a lot of subdomains in there, right? The very last one, the one at the far right, is what's known as a top-level domain, or a TLD. A top-level domain is something that all DNS servers can resolve or understand. So for example, if I, uh, I and I'm just making this up because there are a lot of top level domains, so maybe this does exist, but ask.asknoahshow.com, or no, .asknoahshow is not a top level domain. So if I made a website that was www.asknoahshow, that wouldn't resolve because DNS servers wouldn't know to recognize the top level domain, asknoahshow. So there is a organization called ICANN that organizes all of the top-level domains. Traditionally, they have been .com, .net, .org, uh, .biz, and, but in recent years, we have expanded that out to be 
dot io and dot ninja and dot sam and dot whatever right and so we have a lot of these <laughs> and so, so that's what you're paying for is you're paying for ICANN to tell all of the dns servers hey this dot scott for example i'm sure that's probably one dot uh, scott is is a valid <laughs> top level domain and so if anybody has dot scott here is the dns server you look at to resolve dot scott addresses and then that dns server then resolves you know my website dot scott okay and that that's that's kind of where my question starts is like so where do we go from paying the ICANN to paying GoDaddy or Namecheap? Like sure. where does that come from? So you could decide to be a registrar and you could uh, register all the paperwork and all of that and you could sell then domains registered to Scott's domain service uh, through ICANN. You could totally do that. Um, but but GoDaddy and I use Register for Less, Namecheap, all of these, they they work with ICANN to facilitate between each other so that only one person can own, obviously, something.com, right? Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Is there... So you can have any registrar then as long as they can interact with ICANN? Correct. Um, certain registers do not support... Uh, every domain top level domain so for example register for yeah. less who i love they only support like six top level domains and so all of the rest <sighs> of them i use gandhi uh because gandhi supports every top level domain under the sun they are insanely cheap they support uh privacy and uh their renewal system is amazing cool awesome thank you very much for the uh thanks for the, for, for the mumble question mumble.jupiterbroadcasting.org you too can join the conversation Domains are an interesting subject, and and uh, and domain names are an interesting subject. There was a long, there was there was a time back when we started AltaSpeed Technologies. One of the reasons that I went with the name AltaSpeed, uh, it was actually a name generator. And I, I I don't know if I've ever told the story on the air, but it was a name generator. It was a it was a website that generated. Um, uh, basically business names based on a number of criteria. And so the criteria that we were looking for back in 2009 when we started AltaSpeed Technologies was we wanted something that, that ranked well in the yellow pages. Because back in 2009, people still used phone books to call for IT services, and we cared. Today, that obviously is not so much of an issue. But uh, so we cared about our yellow page listing. It looked at what was available, what Twitter handle was available. It looked at what uh, .com was available. Um, and, and based on all, it looked on what Gmail address was available and based on all of those things, and also based on what we had for our, uh, for our, uh, what we were trying to sell. So we were trying to sell, you know, at the time we were working with a, a speaker manufacturer called Sunfire and we were working on, um, fast networks and fast Wi-Fi and stuff like that. And it combined the sun in Sunfire, Altus, which is Latin for sun, with the network speed that we were trying to push, speed, and we got AltaSpeed, and AltaSpeed.com was available and, and all of that. Now, these days, I look at some of those things and I go, well, today it probably wouldn't matter, because even if AltaSpeed.com doesn't matter, AltaSpeed.io is available. And uh, these days, you can almost get a top-level domain that fits whatever you're doing. So the race car guy can have altaspeed.races, and I can have altaspeed.tech. And we can, we, can, we can have that same namespace, and we can have somewhat of a name collision, but it, doesn't, uh, but it doesn't necessarily conflict because they're doing two entirely different things. Token Ring in the chat room says, uh, 
or I'm sorry, who was it that asked? Somebody asked, uh, Depens V asked, is Gandhi able to offer in Thunderbird? Well, Gandhi is just a name register. Where you check your email or where you host your email is totally your discretion. Now, if you want really good uh, mail hosting, I would check out Fastmail. If you want free mail hosting, check out Zoho. It will do a lot of the things that Gmail will do, but it won't cost anything. Hey guys, did you know this episode is available as a downloadable podcast? That's right, to subscribe to the feed or download the latest episode, visit show. There you'll find not only the latest episode, but all of the articles and materials referenced in this episode. You can get the latest, of course, by following us on Twitter, at AskNoahShow. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. A huge thanks to Vox Telesis for providing our phone systems. Ben, our producer, Sarah, our call screener. This hour of the show may be over, but there's plenty more content for you 24-7 at AskNoahShow.com. Mm-hmm.